of Pan Am, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 19 through 23 of The Hunger Games, and as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. So when we pick up with chapter 19, the game makers have just announced that they will allow for two victors if both come from the same district, so Katniss begins to search for Peta. She finds him down by the stream, camouflaged in the mud using his cake frosting skills. He has a severe injury on his leg, which Katniss tries to help him treat, and she moves into a cave to hide. In the cave, Katniss kisses Peeta, and she receives a pot of broth as a sponsor gift, which she interprets as Haymitch, telling her to play up the romance even more. To distract him from his injury, Katniss tells Peeta the story of how she got Prim her goat. After that, the announcer, Claudius Templesmith, announces that there will be a feast at the Cornucopia, where each district's tributes will be able to get something that they need desperately. Peta immediately tells Katniss not to go, not wanting her to risk her life for him, but Haymitch sends her some sleep syrup and she tricks Peta into taking it so she can sneak out. At the feast, the girl from District 2, Clove, attacks Katniss. She's about to kill her when Thresh, the boy from District 11, steps in and kills Clove. He agrees to let Katniss live as thanks for being Rue's ally. Katniss gives Peta his medicine and his wound improves significantly. They kiss again and Katniss starts to realize that she genuinely cares about him and wants to be near him. The two of them go out to hunt and gather food, and Foxface dies after following them and eating Nightlock, a type of poisonous berry. This leaves just Katniss, Peeta, and Kato alive. So we have a lot in these chapters. I feel like I say that every week. At this point, there's just a lot going on, um, and it's going to stay that way and get even crazier. I have like my schedule planned out for like all four books, and when I was going through Mockingjay to like make the sections, I was like... There's because there's some like pretty solid stopping points usually and I try to split up because the books are split into three parts and I sp- try to split each part into two episodes. So it'll be like four episodes or four chapters in one episode and then five in the next or five and then four or whatever. And I try to like pick the most natural stopping point. But in Mockingjay, I was like, there's like three different plot lines crammed into this one section and they all overlap so like how am I supposed to divide that up but I think I did a good job I don't really remember what the cutoffs were but I guess we'll find out when we get there because I wrote them all down somewhere anyway but yeah there's a lot going on a big bulk of it being these scenes in the cave which if you if if this is not your first time listening I'm sure you've picked up that I'm literally obsessed with Katniss and Peeta and their relationship and they're literally my favorite fictional relationship of all time and like they're just perfect. I'm sure you've gathered that if you've listened to any previous episodes. If not, welcome. I'm obsessed with them. Um, And get used to it because I'm going to be talking about it a lot and kind of acting like a crazy person about it. But the cave scenes are like the moments for them in this book. Um, Not that there's a lot of other moments. We have the rooftop scene, which is just immaculate. So good. So perfect. Um, Especially for Peta. That is his moment. Um, But the cave scenes are just one of their big moments. Like in the entire series, honestly. Um, And it's the first we like really get to see of their relationship. I I was gonna say genuinely, but there's still like cameras and that's actually a big question of like how much of this is genuine and that's something I'm gonna talk about. Um, But there's just like a, a bit of a shift from like before the games where they were pretending to be friends for the sake of like getting sponsors and like presenting themselves to the other tributes. And at this point, like, yes, there are cameras on them, but like Katniss actively sought out PETA. Um, 
partially because she knew that the two of them being together like play up the lovers thing would get them more sponsored but also like when she first has that like split second reaction to call out for him that's just her like that's not that wasn't an act that was just her calling out for him um and so I'm gonna get into more in more in depth of like how much of this was an act how much of this was like genuine feelings between them and I'm like Katniss versus Peta's perspective on the whole thing um but I just think that like the way that they interact with each other and the way that they connect with each other really gets established in these scenes and it's the first time we get a hint of like actual romance between them um because beforehand it was just Peta admitting that he had feelings for Katniss but that was also part of like Haymitch's strategy so this is the first time we see that like there actually is something there and like what that's going to be. Let's talk about Peta first because we haven't gotten to talk about him a lot the last few episodes because he wasn't really around much. Um, He's back. Thank God we missed him. Um, But this is where we finally get to figure out what his deal is because up to this point before the games, you know, we have this moment with the bread when they were kids that Katniss remembers. Um, But like, from the moment they get reaped until they go into the arena, Katniss doesn't really know if she can trust Peta, and she kind of decides on like, no, I can't trust him, um, because she knows that he's her competition in this situation, um, and so she doesn't want to like let him in and give him an advantage over her once they get to the arena. But then you know, there's the declaration of love in the interview, and she's very angry about that. They work through that. Um, And then they have that moment on the rooftop where she sort of starts to see like, okay, maybe like he's actually being genuine and maybe like I actually do enjoy his presence and like he actually is making some points. Um, But then they get into the arena and he teams up with the careers. And so she's immediately like, no, I, he literally is betraying me and like trying to kill me and trying to help the careers kill me. She does have moments where she acknowledges like maybe this is part of some plan that him and Hamish came up with that they didn't tell her about, which seems likely to her because they kind of didn't tell her about their original plans anyway um (laughs) but she's also like or maybe he literally just wants to win and he thinks teaming up with them is the best way but then she has this moment after the tracker jackers where he tells her to run but like it's kind of a blur because of all the venom and like the hallucinations so she's like I think he just saved my life but like who really knows what's going on so this is when she finally starts to see like that he is being genuine and there's obviously still some doubt because like they are still on camera. They do still need to worry about getting sponsors. But another thing to note is that PETA doesn't think he's going to survive at this point. Like his leg is so severely injured. He thinks he's a goner. And to be fair, so does Katniss to a certain extent. Like she's desperately trying to save him, which is another thing I'll talk about. But I mean, it's a very, very bad injury. And so he definitely doesn't think he's going to make it. She's kind of losing faith slowly and slowly that he's going to be able to pull through. And so at this point, like he thinks he's going to die and he's like, might as well just tell her everything I'm feeling. Um, Because she still kind of thinks that like the whole, like I have a crush on you thing in the interview was like just part of the plan. And there wasn't any real like emotion behind it. But this is the point at which he reveals to her that like, no, I actually have been into you for like a significant amount of time like literally since they were kids and that's why I love these chapters so much is because there's so much dialogue between the two of them and it also gives us a glimpse into like who they were before the games like 
Katniss has this whole section where she tells the story of how she got Prim her goat. And PETA talks about like how he would notice Katniss like in the schoolyard and stuff like that. And so I just think that like this is the first like real connection between them, even if Katniss doesn't necessarily acknowledge it all the time. Like there's definitely a part of her that's like, I have to pretend to be in love with him so that we get sponsor gifts. And like, as she should, like, got to do what you got to do to survive. And so I think that some part of her thinks like, oh, yeah, this is just an act. Like, I'm just acting. Um, But then there's also a real connection being formed and real feelings being developed. And she's not even going to realize how real those feelings are until like literally two novels from now. <laughs> like we're not, we're not even close to being there yet. Um, but I think this is like where where some of those scenes earlier, specifically the rooftop, rooftop. Why can't I say rooftop? Rooftop scene, my goodness, um, <laughs> is I think sort of the foundations of like their friendship. I think that these scenes in the cave Although a development of that are really the foundation of like their romantic relationship, even though a lot of it is just for sponsors and for the cameras. But I think on Peta's part, the things that he's saying to her and the feelings he's having are real. I think that definitely he's, you know, playing it up for the cameras, like as he should. And we know that that's a skill of his to he's very like charismatic and charming. Um, but all the like emotion behind it is real. Whereas Katniss, it definitely, definitely starts out as like, gen- there is genuine like care and concern for him. Like she wouldn't be doing all these things to try to save him if there wasn't. And like, especially the, the going to the feast and getting the medicine, like she didn't have to do that. And she risked her own life and like literally almost died. Like she was literally about to die in the process of doing that. And like, she didn't have to, like, that was, a uh, out of like pure selflessness I do think you know there's also a part of her that just doesn't want to be alone which is so real and so valid she's been she had Rue for a bit in the arena but like before that and after that she's been completely alone and so I think there's also there's this longing like not even in a romantic sense but just to have another human being who you can rely on around and also you know like Peta being injured he can't fight and so there's not this like fear of like is he gonna just turn around and kill me right now um which is like kind of horrible because he's like literally like about to die he's that injured but it's also true like he's not a threat to her in this moment and and so I think that a lot of it comes from just a, like want not wanting to be alone anymore but then also, like, Peta himself is a big part of it. Like, how Katniss feels towards him specifically and wanting, like, him to survive and the two of them to go home together, like, are all things that she really wants. And so I think that her going into the cornucopia is saying a lot about, like, all those things and, like, what her motivations are are very interesting. I think that the long story short answer to, like, is this all an act on Katniss's part or is any of it real is yes. I think it's a bit of both. Um, and I think that there's a part of her who would love to believe that everything she's doing is an act and she might even be like telling herself that. But I think that there's definitely aspects of it that aren't. And she does actually acknowledge it. Like she acknowledges like towards the end of that she like after um after she's given him the medicine and he's getting better and she realizes that they like actually could go home together. She's like, I do actually want to keep him around. Like 
not just out of a need for survival or a need for like to not be alone but like because of him but like up to that point she thinks it's mostly for show a lot of it is but I think that she's unaware of like how real the feelings that she's starting to form are and are going to be going forward and like what foundations this is laying for like the kind of relationship they're going to have in the future and I think it's also like it's interesting to think about of like if the it's one of those like if the circumstances have been different like would because obviously this experience and like their whole like pretending to be lovers thing is like what brings them together throughout this process and so it's interesting to think about like had that not been the case would they have never had any sort of like romantic feelings for each other I obviously PETA had already had some but like for cat for cat specifically of like would she ever have felt the same had they not had to like put on this act like which ended up developing into something real or would not having to put on this act actually have made things easier for them to like figure out what their real feelings are I don't know much to think about I personally think that they would have ended up together either way um because like I said I love them and I think they're literally made for each other but you know it's interesting to think about I just have a lot of thoughts about their relationship like overarching throughout the series but I'm probably gonna save most of those I just like that that it's it stays complicated that it's not like oh and then we figure out all our feelings and then everything's like fine and easy for the rest of the series in terms of our relationship I like that it stays confusing for Katniss and it stays like ambiguous to us as readers of like you know like let's be honest it's a young adult book series and like we we all read this book like it's pretty obvious that there's going to be a romance there that stretches into the second and third books just because like it's fictional media and we love a good romance and we can tell what's going to be a romance like right from the beginning as readers but it's still like it it feels a little less simple than like okay these are the two that are going to end up together and like oh now they're together oh and now they're like in a healthy relationship like it's never that like black and white for them and I think that's what makes their dynamic so interesting and what allows it to play out so well over three whole novels so yeah I think there's a lot to be like interpreted with these cave scenes of like what's real and what's not and every time I read it I have like a different thought about it um and sometimes I just like read these scenes just just to feel something, you know, <laughs> it's re- it's kind of emotional, not kind of, it's really emotional, especially when you've read Mockingjay. <sighs> oh, Mockingjay, my best friend, but also my <laughs> literal enemy. Um, so yeah, shout out to Suzanne Collins for the cave scenes because they're just, it's it's a piece of art, truly, truly is. Anyway, moving on. I bet those of you who've listened before can already guess what I'm going to talk about next. Let's talk about Haymitch. (laughs) I feel like I might be lying, actually. I was going to say I feel like I didn't talk about him that much last week, but that could totally be a lie. Like, I feel like I talk about him so much, I just lose track. But I don't think I talked about him that much last week because he doesn't really, like, those chapters didn't really involve him. But these ones absolutely do. Are you kidding me? Like, oh... (sighs) The the way that him and Katniss like literally communicate without words across like through literally like a cup a pot of broth. Are you are you kidding me? What kind? And they're not even like friends at this point. Like at least later on they have like a close relationship. Now they're literally just mentor and tribute, and she doesn't even really like him. 
at this point, but still understands him so well. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, the first sponsoring of Big in these chapters is when Katniss kisses Peta and then Hamish sends her the broth basically as a way of saying like, you can do more than that. You can do more than that. Which I talked about this before, but like the way that Hamish gets to be a significant character in these books, despite or in this book specifically, despite the fact that he's literally not physically in it for like the majority of the book. So good. Such good storytelling and character building. Anyway, but I think that obviously the most notable sponsor gift they get in these chapters is the sleep syrup. I think about this every single day of my life. Genuinely, it's the way that Hamish knows that Peta will not let Katniss risk her life for him, but Katniss being as stubborn as she is, is going to do it anyway, because that's exactly what he would do, by the way. That is exactly what he would do. And he's like, oh, I'm going to send something to help her knock him out so she can go risk her life to save his. Just think about that for a second. Isn't that just amazing in like a really twisted way? Because I think it is. Um, but no, it like that is exactly what, first of all, intelligence level, Hamish, like I've said this before, and I'll say it a million times that he is like literally one of the smartest characters in the entire series. Um, and it gets overlooked sometimes and we shouldn't be doing that because I, it's so important to me. But also like that, that's like, he's literally like, if I were in this situation, that's what I would do. I would give PETA sleep syrup so that I could sneak out and get this medicine anyway. And also, I feel like the other side of that is Hamish also cares about PETA. And I think, I also think I've said this before of like, sometimes all the focus on Katniss and Hamish's relationship, people overlook the fact that like, overlook like how much Hamish cares about PETA. And that's actually a big thing in Catching Fire that we're going to talk about. Um, But it's also, their relationship is very meaningful too. And so this is kind of the double-sided, like, yeah, he's doing this for Katniss and because like he knows what her next move is and he knows what he would do if he were in her shoes. But also this is the only way to save PETA is to get that medicine and medicine like that from sponsors will be expensive. Like they, we know they have a lot of sponsors, but that's crazy money. Like, so Hamish knows that going to this feast and getting that medicine for PETA is really the only way PETA is going to make it out of this. And so he's like, one, it's my job as a mentor to protect my tributes, but also he cares about them. He really does. And so I just, and the fact that Katniss knows exactly what to do with it, she gets it immediately and she's like, oh, I'm going to literally knock Peta out so that I can save his life. I think it's one of the more interesting things that her and Hamish do in this book or that like she does in this book and Hamish helping makes it even more interesting. Because again, it's like his intelligence, like who, who else would have thought of that? Who else would have thought of that solution here? Like, and also like Katniss totally could have just like, snuck out or like left like or just walked out like it's not like he can stop her but it would be so hard for her to do and like I know it would be like to just to leave him like that knowing that it would and like obviously he's gonna be very upset that he literally got like drugged like he's not happy about that we know that he literally responds to it um but I just think like the whole thing is 
Very interesting. Anyway, that's another great Hamish moment that becomes like a Katniss and Peeta moment, but like it was all because of him. Like we all, we got to give credit where credit is due. Um, so yeah, she does drug Peeta so that she can sneak out and go almost die to save his life. And so speaking of this beast at the Cornucopia, Katniss does almost die there. Clove does like almost kill her. Super messed up. I just, not to be like, get into a ton of detail on like the careers in their lives, but I just think like, like someone like Clove has literally been raised and trained her whole life to be a killer to the point where that's the only thing she knows. And I think that it's easy to just see the, the careers as like these arrogant, like stuck up jerks who are literally like kill people and don't feel bad about it at all and like treat it like a game. But they're still children. The careers specifically are usually like 17 to 18 year olds, but like still that is very, very young. And that's what they've been raised and trained to believe their entire lives. And it's just like the way that the capital like brainwashes people into thinking everything's great or into doing what they want. Um, and I think that these kids are just like one of the biggest examples of that, of like the people of districts one, two, and four who end up volunteering for the Hunger Games. But anyway, Clove does almost kill Katniss, but then Thresh shows up and Thresh kills Clove and has overheard Clove talking about Rue um, to Katniss and basically like taunting her about and like bragging about how the careers killed her. And Thresh basically like spares Katniss's life here because he realizes that like she was Rue's ally and she tried to save Rue, which Thresh is like a very very minor character like he's really not in the book a lot but this one moment is huge it is tells us everything we need to know about him um not really I would love to know a lot more about him but like it tells us it's so telling about him it just further establishes that like it's impossible not to love Rue and not to care about her like everyone in District 11 did Katniss immediately did now we know Thresh did like anyone who knows her cares about her and we don't know like all the details of like how Thresh and Rue knew each other or were connected back in District 11 but we know that he cares enough about her to let Katniss live and like let's not even gloss over how much he's risking by letting her live because if he killed Katniss here he probably would have won. He like, I'm going to be honest, he probably would have won because Katniss would have never been able to take. And like, we know that Thresh is a really strong fighter and like a strong individual and like could, can actively like physically fight people. Um, But had Katniss not gotten that medicine and brought it back to Peta, Peta would have died. Katniss would be dead. Clove is dead. The only other people are Kato and Foxface. And I think that Thresh and Kato would definitely be a fight, but like it's one that Thresh could win. And also, like, what kind of physical condition Kato's in right now is kind of questionable anyway. And then Foxface like has the survival skills, yes, but like it's gonna come to a point where the game makers are gonna draw them in for a fight and Thresh is gonna win that. So like he like he basically gives up his win by letting Katniss live. And obviously he wouldn't know the like sequence of events that would have played out had she not lived. But, like, to let anyone live increases your competition. And so I think that, like, he definitely knew that there was a big risk in letting her win. And, like, knowing that she had just gotten something that was going to be very beneficial for her and her teammate, 
Um, but he still did it because of Rue. And I think that says a lot about not just him, but the things that we talked about with her last week of like what she means to the people of her district. And then by extension, what she's going to mean to all of Panem. We also get a little, some prim stuff in this chapter, which we always love to see. Um, just Katniss basically, there's a story about the goat and just Katniss talking about Prim and like what she means to her, um, which we always just love to see. So I think it's just worth pointing out. And I like that they don't go, they never go too long without either having Katniss think about Prim or talk about Prim or make some connection to Prim. Just because like the book literally starts off being about the two of them and their relationship to each other. And so I think that you need to maintain that throughout the novel, um, which obviously is done really well. And also I just think that like telling stories of home to PETA, like there's a lot of conversation to be had about the kind of like bond that you have with someone that you inherently have with someone that comes from your district, especially in the Hunger Games when there's only two of you and it can kind of work both ways as we've seen in this book with Katniss and PETA. But now they are really a team and they're really representing and fighting for their district together. And it's not, it's no longer only one of us can win anyway. It's, we are a team. Um, And there's also, even like if they weren't, like there's also the thing of like, if someone from my district wins, my district is going to get rewarded for it, which means like my family and friends. Um, So that's kind of the normal reason to want someone from your district to win, even if it's not going to be you. But now that they're a team, it's just that and heightened. And like, once once PETA is healed, obviously their odds of survival, if they stick together, go up significantly. Like once he gets this medicine and then now they're the only team left. And also like by the time we hit the end of chapter 23, it's literally just the two of them and Kato. And like, yeah, Kato's a really good fighter, but there's also two of them and they're both in fighting condition now. Like obviously PETA's not like magically perfectly healed and he's not injured at all anymore but he is able to like move and help her gather food and able to help her if they end up in a fight with Kato and so their odds of winning are really good right now definitely like the highest that they've been especially when you take into account their individual abilities like Peta's strength and Katniss's skill the bow and arrow I do want to talk about Foxface's death. I de- I definitely know that there are there are definitely lots of thoughts and theories about it of people basically speculating that like because the way that she dies is she picks up the nightlock that Peta had been gathering and eats it and it's obviously poisonous and she dies. But there's a lot of discussion about like because her skill set is like her intelligence and her survival skills. Like we know that she's not a fighter, she's a survivor and she's very very intelligent like uh, definitely the smartest person in this arena um out of the people we know at least and so it is interesting that she would die in that way and not in like a physical fight so there are people that think that she ate the berries on purpose just recognizing like there's only four people left and anyone there could beat her in a physical fight and eating a poisonous berry is arguably a more pleasant way to die than being like actively killed by someone especially someone like Cato who we know to be like very cruel in kind of the way that like Clove was I don't know I think it's interesting because Nightlock the berry 
we know it's found in district 12 and I think some places in 13, but we don't really know beyond that. So there's, first of all, the aspect of like Nightlock might not be a, a berry that grows in district five. So Fox race wouldn't know it. She wouldn't know to avoid it. So like, maybe it was an accident, but then you think about it more and it's like, if she, she's that intelligent, I think she would know better than to eat a random berry that she didn't know for sure if it was like safe or not. But then she saw that PETA had been gathering them and maybe thought like, oh, if Katniss and PETA are eating them, that means they're safe to eat and then eat one. I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually know how I feel about this. It does seem like so interesting to have someone that smart die in a way that seems contradictory to like what we know their skill set to be. But also like I can see the way that it would happen. And I think the biggest thing being like, she assumed they were safe to eat because she assumed other people were eating them, but like Katniss and Peta hadn't actually eaten any yet. But also would she really fall for that? It's very interesting. I think the discussions around her death are actually like really interesting and I like to talk about it. Um, and I like to know what other people's opinions are on it because I really can see both sides. So anyway, we leave off and there are only three tributes left and we know that the game makers are getting really like, we want to end this thing because people get bored if it goes on too long. And also now that there's just three of them, Katniss and Peta aren't going to actively seek out Kato for a fight. Like that's not the kind of people they are. And Kato's not going to seek them out because he knows he's outnumbered and he knows that they got the medicine because he was he saw them like he saw Katniss leaving the feast after Clove died. So the next step is like for the game makers of like, how do we draw them all together? And they have ideas for sure. <laughs> they definitely have ideas. Um, I might've, I, maybe I should have saved the episode title, the stuff of nightmares for next week's episode because ugh. anyway, sneak peek. If, if this is your first time reading sneak peek of the horrible, scary, messed up, awful things that you will discover in the next section. Also, we're almost done with the book. That's crazy. Yeah, we're going to be finishing up next week. And then it is first week of November. And I'm doing my character study episode. And it's not going to be hard to guess who I'm doing. It's not Hamish yet. We're not there yet. I'm trying to like go in a order of like, like how major of a character they are. But we'll be at Hamish soon. But I think you all can guess who the next one will be. We just did Katniss. That's going to be a fun episode. And then the week after that, actually, before we dive into Catching Fire, I'm going to do my episode on the Hunger Games film, which I'm going to do for each film after each of the books. We're going to do the movie. And I have a very well-planned out layout for those episodes because, like I said, I love to plan things way in advance. So I already am planned for that. But it's going to be really fun. It's going to have some fun trivia and just some fun facts about the movies and also a lot of interesting discussion, of course, because that's what I'm here for. And then after that, we are getting into Catching Fire. Amazing book. Um, so if you are reading along and either it's your first time or you just don't have the books, secure your copy of Catching Fire before then. And we will be diving into it. Same like structure as I did for this book. So It'll be over six episodes, 
each one will cover four to five chapters. Each part will be split into two episodes. We know the drill by now. But yeah, that's a fun little preview of things to come. It's not really like anything crazy because I've already said what the entire point of this podcast is and what the entire format is going to be. But, you know, I feel like I have things to say about Catching Fire. I definitely, definitely do. But yeah, in terms of these chapters, final thoughts is Katniss and Peter are literally perfect. Maybe there's a bit of romance starting to stir on Katniss's side. There definitely is on Peter's side and there definitely has been. Um, Also, like, the dialogue in these chapters, there were, like, so many lines of dialogue that I was like, I should bring up this exact quote on the podcast. But then I was like, we'd be here all day. Um, So I decided to just kind of sum it all up. But there's some incredible scenes of dialogue. If you're not like reading along and you're just using these as sort of like a recap, I do recommend that you just go back and read these chapters because like, even as I was rereading them for, I don't even want to think about what number time this is. I was just like, man, (laughs) maybe Peter Malark is like literally the most perfect human being to ever exist. Like maybe he set the bar way too high. I think he did. I really think that like, my expectation my personal expectations are just through the ceiling and it's all because of him um and I I know I'm not the only one I know that the other people who read this book when they were a child to a teenager are like when is it my turn to meet someone as perfect as Peter Mark um unfortunately I don't think such a person exists I don't think that any person in real life can ever be that perfect so we are unfortunately gonna have to settle that's just the way it is. Sorry to break it to you. Um, there just aren't, there just aren't Peter Malarks out there. I also think that like we've reached kind of the highest point of dramatic tension in this book, specifically where we end here of like, there are only three people left. It's about to get, it's about to get even more real. Like it's about to go down. Someone's about to die. Someone's about to win. But I think that these chapters 19 through 23 are very nice. Like there's definitely still a lot of action, like specifically with the stuff with Clove and like going into the cornucopia. But we also get a lot of really great emotional moments in the cave and a lot of really good dialogue. There are definitely big portions of this book where we don't get a ton of like, I don't want to say meaningful dialogue because like obviously all dialogue has like meaning plot wise, but like in terms of like dialogue that makes me like, oh, that actually made me feel really emotional and like deeply impacted me which is how I feel about all these chapters. A lot of periods of the book, a lot of portions of the book don't have a lot of that just because it's like Katniss on her own trying to survive, which I think is great because like the internal monologue in those scenes is incredible. Um, And obviously once Rue and her are teamed up, there's some really great moments there. But then obviously once Rue dies, she's kind of on her own again. But the amount of like scenes in these chapters that are just I'm in the caves, like connecting and talking and having moments is exactly what we need at this point in the book when like there's not that many tributes left and things are about to get even more insane than they've already been but let's take a moment to build up this crucial relationship in the books I love that the structure of the story and the way that there is such a delicate but really well executed balance between like emotional heartfelt moments between characters and then development on Katniss as an individual because I think that's also very important that she gets to have moments alone where we get to see her without other people 
around like obviously she's literally on camera but like on a more like internal level when she's not actively like talking to or interacting with other people that's when we get more of her character building that can be done through conversations with others yes but I think it's also too important like that the characters don't fall into like they are only defined by their relationships with other people I think that like it's not even just her character like even the other characters like Peta is a big example of like he could have been just a love interest and not had any depth outside of that but that's not what his character is especially in the books there's so much there outside of like whatever his relationship with Katniss is at any given moment so I think yeah the amount of like individual character development but also development of relationships and then also like action because it's a book and you want action and there's going to be action sequences is all really well balanced um and as someone who like what draws me to a story is the characters and their relationships there's so much of that but then like if world building is your thing there's a ton of great world building like sprinkled throughout like it's not just like oh at the beginning here's everything you need to know about the world we're set in it's like throughout the book we get little bits and pieces but if you're someone who likes the tension and the action scenes and like there's also a lot of that in there too and so I think that like I talk about it a lot from a perspective of like characters relationships and like individual characters and their development and like stuff like that because it's what personally draws me to it and what makes it my favorite series but also like if you wanted to talk about it purely from a world building perspective and then touch on elements of character, you could do that too, or like really any way of looking at it. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. For those of you reading along with me, next week's episode will be covering chapters 24 through 27, aka the ending of The Hunger Games. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be back next week. Thank you.